Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. You say, well, where's Pastor A this morning? Well, I'm filling in for her a little bit today, and she, she might fill in for me a little bit in the future. But right now, we want to go to our Psalms 91 recitation, keeping this very firmly in our hearts. And parents, please, this is something you should have all of the kids and all of the young people in the church and all of the seniors in your house. Everybody should memorize this. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You hide this in your heart. Let the young people memorize this. Let the kids memorize this. Let the seniors memorize this. And let your generation memorize it also. Psalm 91, New Century Version. Those who go to God most high for safety will be protected by God all powerful. I will say to the Lord, you are my place of safety and protection. You are my God and I trust you. God will save you from hidden traps and from deadly diseases. He will protect you like a bird spreading its wings over its young. His truth will be like your arm on shield. You'll not feel any danger by night or an arrow during the day. You will not be afraid of diseases in the dark or sickness that strikes at noon. At your side, 1,000 people may die or even 10,000 right beside you. But you'll not get hurt. You'll only watch what happens. You'll see the wicked punished. The Lord is your protection. You have made God most high your place of safety. Nothing bad will happen to you. No disaster will come to your home. Has put his angels in charge of you. They will watch you wherever you go. They will catch you with their hands. And you'll not hit your foot on a rock. You'll step you'll walk on lions and cobras. You will step on strong lions and snakes. The Lord says, if someone loves me, I will save him. I will protect those who know me. If they call to me, I will answer them. I'll be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. I will give them a long, full life. They will see how I can save. As we go to prayer this morning, we have all watched the news, and they're talking about putting us back under enhanced quarantine or modified enhanced quarantine, and the mayors are saying that people are undisciplined and they can't be controlled. I don't know about any of that, but I do know that God says this plague shall not come near our dwelling place. I don't know about a lot of other things, but I do know that God has given his angels to guard us in all of our ways. Father, we come to you today. And Lord, this is a plague that sticks, and we have been redeemed from it. Father, in Jesus' name, let there be just a settled rest of faith in every child, in every young person, in every parent, in every grandparent. Let there just be a settled rest of faith of the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. Every time, Lord, we celebrate communion, let faith flow within our hearts as we remember all that Jesus did for us when his body hung on that tree and he bore the curse for us that, Lord, we would be redeemed from this plague that sticks. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, be the shield and the rear guard of all of our frontliners, all of the frontliners that are out working, all the policemen, Lord, and the barangay townhoods and the military men and all of the workers, Father, that are trying to sell us groceries. And especially, Father, we pray for all the doctors and the nurses and the lab techs and the folks that work in the hospitals. They're just overloaded right now and no sleep. Father, I ask in Jesus' name for every believer, let there just be a shield and a rear guard standing around them. You are that shield, Lord. You are that rear guard. 
Keep them safe, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. And Father, let a whole new young generation grow up seeing the reality of God in this situation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today is in Romans chapter 6, picking up with verse 15. Paul said, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Now, this is what you want to say to this new antinomianism or anti-law Christian movement in the world today. Are we to sin because we're not under law? They, they say it doesn't matter how we live. We can do whatever we want because we're under grace. Paul said, by no means. Yes, we're under grace, but remember what the scripture says. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So Paul said, listen, don't even go down this path. Don't think that grace means you can live however you want to live and it doesn't matter. It's not relevant. And then he begins to explain. Do you not know? He said, are you ignorant? Now, he doesn't say stupid, but basically he's saying, are you ignorant? Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience that leads to righteousness. Now, just break that down a little bit. When we present ourselves, he said, when you present yourself to sin, he said, you know what? That's going to lead to death. He said, but this is your choice. He said, if you present yourself to obedience, he said, that's going to lead to righteousness. Now, remember, this is the obedience that comes by faith. Remember, we are brought to the obedience by faith. He said, now, if you present yourself to obedience by faith, he said, that's going to lead you to righteousness. But he said, this, where you present yourself is your choice. So if you present yourself in a club with a drink girl sitting on your lap and you're drinking and you're losing more and more control of your self-will and you're becoming more and more in trouble, uh, and then you wind up in sin, well, excuse me, you can't sit there and say, well, no, I didn't sin because I'm under grace, so it really doesn't matter what I did. God said, wait a minute, you made a choice here. You presented yourself. Remember, you always have a choice. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were commanded. Now notice, obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Paul said, hey, I'm the one who taught you. He said, I know the teaching that you have received. There is a standard. There is a set of rights and wrongs. There are standards that you have been taught. And you were committed to those things. Now, he said, you have become obedient from the heart to these standards of teaching. Now, people like to say, oh, you know, at COP, you have too many bowels. No, we don't have any bowels, but there are standards of teaching to which we have been committed. And having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. I like that. I'm free from sin. Sin no longer dominates. I am free from sin and I am a slave to righteousness. I like that. I am speaking in human terms. He said, I, I got to put this in a way that you'll understand. Because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented yourselves 
your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Now, again, notice, sin leads to more sin. It's always that way. You go to a club and you're going to just have a couple of drinks. That's going to lead you to sexual immorality with the girls that are there. Okay? Sin always leads to more sin, leading to more lawlessness. He said, so now, now that you're born again, present yourself. Here's that present again. Present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now, there's a great big word. He said, now, if you'll present yourself, your choice, if you'll present yourself as a slave to righteousness, he said, that is going to lead you to sanctification. Now, sanctification is what we would call experiential holiness. We are holy by the blood of Jesus. In our position in Christ, we are holy. But then there's experiential holiness, how we live our life. That's sanctification. It amazes me today how the church around the world has a great revelation of grace, but they have almost no revelation of sanctification. You have to present your members, present your physical body as a slave to righteousness, to right standing with God. I want to do what's right in God's eyes. That leads to sanctification. He says, when you were slaves, this is prior to salvation, so this is before salvation. When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. <laughs> okay, there was, there, was no righteousness in, there was no righteousness in you. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things that you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. He said, now, now look at what was produced. You know, when you, when you look at that drunkenness and throwing up and hangovers, when you look at that sexual immorality, when you look at that pornography, when you, you look at that stealing, when, when you look at those things that you used to do, things that you're now ashamed of, what did they ever produce in your life? He said, all they produced was death. Death means separation, separation from God. But now that you are set free, now this is now, that was... That was then, this is now. Now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves to God. The fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. All right? So the fruit of how we act now leads to, leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. Remember, eternal life is an experiential relationship or an experiential knowledge of God. Jesus said, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, know by experience, relationship encounters with God. He says, so listen, when you used to do the stuff that you were ashamed of, you, you had no encounters. You had, you had no relationship encounters. You had no walk with God. But he said, now when you make yourself a slave to God, he said, the fruit brings sanctification. You're, you're living a sanctified, set-apart life. And because of that, eternal life. Come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and I'll walk among you and I'll be a father to you. Understand this. You want to be close to Jesus, live right.
For the wages of sin is death. We all know that passage. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, it's a free gift, but if you want to get to that free gift, you have to follow the leadership of being a slave to God. Chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, he's speaking to the Jews, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Thus a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So, all right, at death, you can be remarried. Now, I know sometimes in our Pinoy culture, we, we think a woman should never get remarried. But now that's not true. I sometimes teach the young widows, based on Paul's teaching here and, and in many other places, that when, if and when their husband passes and they're still young and they want to get married again, feel free. You're not bound. There, there is nothing that binds you. But yes, but pastor, what about in the millennium? Well, we're going to have glorified bodies like the angels. There will be neither male nor female, all right? Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But now he's died, so she can get remarried. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. She's not a bad person. If, if you know, a young lady, her husband dies, and, you know, maybe he's a seaman and he dies in an accident at sea and she wants to get remarried, that's, that's perfectly fine. And neither side of the family should push her on it. She's, there's nothing wrong with her. It's perfectly fine. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit to God. So, all right, I have died to the law that I may belong to Jesus in order that, so that, bear fruit. All right, I've died to the law. When I was buried with Jesus in water baptism, I died to the law. I came back into new life. I belong to Jesus, and I bear fruit. For while we were still living in the flesh, notice that was before, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members that bear fruit for death. Now, what's he teaching? A tremendous amount of stuff in there. We'll get into all this in the evening services, but... Have you ever been told you can't do something? What is the very thing that you then want to go do? Young people, when your parents say, don't go there, what is the next thing you do when your parents aren't around? You go there. There's something within us in an unsaved state. There's something in us in an unsaved condition that anything we're not to do, that's exactly the thing we want to do. But that was then, okay, that was then. That's not how a Christian heart feels. But that's how an unsaved heart feels. And it bears fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but we serve in the new life of the Spirit. We don't serve God because we are commanded to. We serve 
in this new resurrected life. Remember, we, are, we die with him in baptism and we are raised into new life. Okay, there's that new life again that we read about the other day, but in the new life of the Spirit. All right, let's open up our hearts. Spend some more time in worship.
Well, today we're actually going to finish 2 Chronicles. So let's start with chapter 35, verse 1. Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lamb. Remember, that's Jesus. They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month. And he appointed the priests to their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. All right, so the priests are to serve in the house of the Lord. And he said to the Levites, who taught all Israel. Okay, so the Levites were also involved. Remember, the priests were a one family of one tribe. The Levites was the tribe. The priest was Aaron's family's descendants. Who taught all Israel and who are holy to the Lord. Put the holy ark. Now here's a fascinating thought. Put the holy ark in the house that Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. You need not carry it on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. For some reason, we want to ask the question, why ark not in holy of holies? For some reason, it was being taken out of the holy of holies. And the king said, put it back where it belongs. Prepare yourselves according to your father's houses by your divisions, as prescribed in the writing of, king da of David, king of Israel, and the document of Solomon, his son. Now stand in, the ho and stand in the holy place according to the groupings of your father's houses and of your brothers, the lay people, and according to the division of the Levites by father's household. And slaughter the Passover lamb and consecrate yourself and prepare your brothers to do according to the word of the Lord by Moses. Then Josiah contributed to the lay people as Passover offerings for all who were present, lambs and young goats from the flock to the number 30,000 and 3,000 bulls. These were from the king's possessions. And his officials contributed willingly to the people, to the priests and to the Levites. Hilkiah, Zechariah, and Jehiel, the chief officers of the house of God, gave to the priests for the Passover offerings 2,600 Passover lambs and 300 bulls. Now, notice, a Passover lamb is different from a regular lamb. This is the lamb that's been inspected for the days. Konaniah also, and Shemaiah, and Nathaniel, his brothers, and Hashbabiah, and Jael, and Jezebab, the chiefs of the Levites, gave to the Levites for the Passover offerings 5,000 lambs and young goats and 500 bulls. When the service had been prepared for, the priests stood in their place and the Levites in their divisions according to the king's command. And they slaughtered the Passover lamb. And the priests threw the blood that they had received from them while the Levites flayed the sacrifices. And they set aside the burnt offerings that they might distribute them according to the groupings of the fathers and the houses of the lay people to offer to the Lord as it is written in the book of Moses. And so they did with the bulls. And they roasted the Passover lamb with the fire according to the rule. And they boiled the holy offerings in the pots and cauldrons and in pans and carried them quickly to all the people. Afterward, they prepared for themselves and for the priests, because the priests of the sons of Aaron were offering the burnt offerings and the fat parts until night. So the Levites prepared for themselves and for the priests and the sons of Aaron. The singers, the sons of Asaph, were in their place according to the command of David. Now, this is the Davidic worship that we read about earlier. And Asaph and Heman and Jehuthun, the king's seer, and the gatekeepers were at each gate. They did not need to depart from their service, for their brothers, the Levites, prepared for them. So all the service of the Lord was prepared that day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. 
And the people of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah, the priests, and the Levites, and all of Judah and Israel who were present, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now notice, this was a huge Passover. You know, Passover under Samuel the prophet, that would have been at Shiloh. None of the kings, the good kings, even King David, even Solomon, no one had kept a Passover like Josiah did. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, went up to fight at Charchemesh on the Euphrates, and Josiah went out to meet him. But he sent envoys saying, What have we to do with each other, king of Judah? I'm not coming against you today, but against the house at which I'm at war. And God has commanded me to hurry. Cease opposing God who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah did not turn away from him. Now, now brothers and sisters, <laughs> stay out of fights not your own. You know, don't, don't stick your nose in a fight that's not yours. Here was a guy who was a good king, and he'd done so many good things. But you know, in his pride, he went and stuck his nose in a fight that wasn't his. And the archers shot King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, take me away for I'm badly wounded. So his servants took him out of the chariot and carried him in a second chariot and brought him to Jerusalem. And he died and was buried in the tombs of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for him. And Jeremiah also uttered a lament for Josiah, and all the singing men and singing women have spoken of Josiah in their lament to this day. And they made this a rule in Jerusalem, and behold, they are written in the laments. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah, the good deeds according to what was written in the book of the law, his acts first and last are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Here's a man who died a needless death. Here's a man whose work for God ended simply because he stuck his nose in a fight not his own. Sometimes, you know, you've got to keep your nose in your own business. Chapter 36, verse 1. The people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and made him king in his father's place in Jerusalem. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. So we have a very short term. Then the king of Egypt deposed him in Jerusalem and laid on the land a tribute of a hundred talents of silver and talent of gold. So, all right, the next generation still suffering from Josiah's wrong decision. See, sometimes you make a bad decision and you die and the people after you live to suffer. And the king of Egypt made Elikim his brother king over Judah and Jerusalem and changed his name to Jehoiachim. But Necho took Jehoahaz his brother and carried him to Egypt. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil 
in the sight of the Lord his God. Bad king. Now you know what? None of this would have happened if Josiah had just kept his nose in his own business. Against him came up Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and bound him in chains and ta to take him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also carried part of the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his palace in Babylon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and the abominations he did and what was found against him, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. Jehoiachin was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned three months and ten days in Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Grabe. Bad child king. He also rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to God. Wow. That's a wow. You're in trouble, and you get stubborn against turning to God. Now, now brothers and sisters, you're in trouble and stubborn against repentance. Wow. All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful. So folks, please, you're looking just a few years from revival. A few years from the biggest Passover that have ever been celebrated. A few years from the great reform. And now all the officers of the priests, spiritual leaders, and the people were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy. He had made holy in Jerusalem. Now, how many times have I taught you when God's people turn sinful, they pollute God's house. They pollute. Just like before, every time the people turn away from God, they bring their demonic stuff, they bring their awful stuff into God's house. Many years ago, the first time I ever saw this, I was maybe 24, 25 years old. And I'd visited Uncle Lester, and he said, listen, I'd like you to go do a favor for me. So he sent me to this church. He said, you're really good at connect groups. We called them cell groups in those days. He said, can you go out and help them? They've just lost their pastor. So I, I went over to help this church. And it turns out their pastor, every Saturday night, was having sex with a witch at the altar, right where right in front of the pulpit, right where he would preach the next morning, right where people would come to be touched by God. They would have sex at the altar. And I remember thinking, why would, why would that witch want to have sex at the altar? I mean, I was a young guy. I didn't understand. Since then, I've watched pastors use the privacy of their offices to watch pornography and filth. And I've dealt with so many pastors through the years. There's something about the devil. When God's people start going bad, God, the devil always wants to pollute the house of God. The Lord, the God of, our fa of their fathers, sent persistently by them his messengers. Now notice, 
God is faithful. Even when they were faithless, he was faithful, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. So compassion on the people, compassion on his dwelling place. So he sent prophets to speak to them. But they kept mocking the messengers of the Lord, despising his words, scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of God rose against his people until there was no remedy. Now this is the response of hardened people to God's compassion. They mock, they despise, they scoff. <laughs> now, young pastor, forgive me. This is your future. There will be times in every young pastor's future and every old pastor's future there will be times when people have so hardened their heart to God, they mock the messengers of God. They despise the words that are taught. They scoff at the prophets of God. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword at the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels, now remember before it was just a few, now all the vessels of the house of God, both great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. The wealth was stripped from Jerusalem. And they burned the house of God, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem, and burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all of its precious vessels. God's house was destroyed. He took into exile. This is what we call the first temple. This is why we had to have a Herod's temple, because the first temple is destroyed. He took into exile into Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by, by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths because they no longer honor the Sabbath, God said, I'm going to let the land have its Sabbaths. All the day that it lay desolate kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord came by the mouth of Jeremiah, might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of the Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout his kingdom and put it into writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever among you, of all his people, may the Lord be with him. Let him go up. God speaks to God uses an unsaved man. Wow. God wanted an unsaved man to give the order to rebuild his house. And we'll pick up again here on Monday. Right now, we've got services all day tomorrow. I want to encourage you to be in the services. Those of you who are not comfortable getting out of your cars, we have it set up so that you can just come and park in the parking lot. And we've got some radio things that will make sure it gets into your car there in the parking lot here at Main Campus, down at South Campus. All the services are available. 
We'd encourage you, come be in the services this weekend. Enjoy yourself. God bless you. We'll see you in the services.